Amen. Well, good morning, Community Heights family. It's good to see you. Good to see you if you're a college student on spring break and you've come back. It warms my heart. I miss college students. I'm used to having a lot more of them around. So it's good to see you here this morning. And I'll, I'll do my best to make it academic and like a classroom and not like a church. Well, maybe not. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We're in Luke chapter 6. We're rolling through Luke. Luke chapter 6. We're in a new chapter this morning. We're going to look at the first 11 verses in Luke chapter 6. And, and this is, like every section we've looked at, such a good section where Jesus has to confront some stuff. And he does it so well. A couple of weeks ago, maybe just last week, I guess, some of us pastors were uh, in a, uh, a, a bean, a bean toss, yeah, uh, no beans, maybe bean bags, a bag toss tournament, you know, where you got those boards that are slanted with a hole in it, you got to get the bean bag through. This is, this is the 21st century horseshoe thing, I think. I mean, I don't know, used to be men had horseshoes, you know, heavy horseshoes, and we had to throw them 40 feet. Now we get in these uh, uh, climate-controlled rooms with beanbags. Anyway, we were in this beanbag tournament, and we had uh, rules that we were told we had to follow. And we were encouraged not to fight amongst ourselves and our little teams, but to just get along and not to have to make a big deal about who won or who lost. Just go and announce the winners to the person keeping track and, and just play nice and don't fight. Well, they give out the rules, and I had questions about the rules, and other people were kind of scratching their head about stuff. We wanted to know the rules. Like, I wondered if the beanbag hits the floor first, but if it bounces up and goes through, does this still count? Does it? No, it doesn't count, unless you make the rule that it does, which I'd be all for, that rule. And I also wondered if it's hanging... If it's fully on the board, is it a certain number of points? And if it's hanging off, like if you could go like this and it moved it, then it's less, no, it doesn't matter, as long as it's on. But we wanted to know the rules because we're rule-type people. We want to know the rules. So in Matthew 28, Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that took about 20 seconds. But in the Christian Missionary Alliance, in order to do church, we need rules. So we have a manual. We've got this manual. I went looking for it this morning, and I used to have it in my office in Orange City. I think I brought it with me, but I wasn't going to spend too much time on it. But it's like this thick. It's this thick. And if you printed it out in pages, it would fill up 278 pages in a PDF file of how to do Matthew 28, 19, and 20 so we don't fight. So we don't fight and so that we don't have, you know, dissension and discord and things like that. But we want to know the rules. And it's been this way for a long time. I mean, in the garden, right? The, the serpent said to Eve... Um, you're not going to die if you eat this fruit. That, that, that rule doesn't matter. Uh, so this morning, I, I titled this, Breaking the Rules on the Sabbath, because Jesus seems to have broken the rules of the Sabbath because 
the Pharisees put together this entire curriculum for how to obey the, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How do we obey that? So they put together this curriculum, and it had 39 chapters to it. Of sections, chapters, and each one of them was about something, uh, you know, it was about planting or about traveling or about eating or about doing certain kinds of work, and it, it covered everything because so, they wanted to be sure that they did what they were supposed to do and not what they weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath. So they were really good rule keepers. So I have a three-question quiz for you. Here's the first question. For Jews in Jesus' day, the Sabbath rules were understood from the Old Testament Scriptures, which, by the way, is all they had, the Talmud, which was a collection of teachings based on the interpretations of the, of the law, and then the words of Jesus. So for the Jews in Jesus' day, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. You're not going to get graded. I would say, I would say, some of you want to say A. I would actually say B. I would say B. And I think we're a lot like them too. I mean, we have our Bibles, but then we just do what we think it says, right? That's what the Talmud was. The Talmud was was the best shot of the teaching of the law by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law. So the Sabbath rules were understood from the Talmud. The second question, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, chief Sabbath rule breaker, see, Sabbath fulfillment, this gets really complicated. D, A, and B, E, B, and C, or F, A, and C. Quick, 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 what is it, what is it? I would say maybe, maybe B, if you're asking a Jew who was trying to keep the law on that day, he would probably say, or she would probably say, B, he's breaking all the rules. But probably the answer is letter F, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's Sabbath fulfillment, or the Sabbath fulfiller. The third question, we experience Sabbath through A, daily, weekly rest, B, new life in Christ, C, not working on Sunday, D, not working on Saturday, E, a couple of the above. Now, if you think a couple of the above is C and D, you're absolutely wrong on that one. So I know that's not right. So you can pick maybe a couple others. I would say if I had to bet my life to get the right answer, I would say letter B. Some of you might say A and B, and that would be okay. But for what we're talking about this morning, I'm going to put my money on letter B. So no money, actually, but let's go to Luke chapter 6, verse 1. And let's see what this passage says about the Sabbath, particularly what Jesus says about the Sabbath. So it says, and again, Luke is selecting, he's selecting passages and scenarios and situations, and he's sharing them with his readers, and he's trying to give an orderly account of all the things that were fulfilled through the life and the ministry of Jesus. So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And his disciples, they began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. 
And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So the Pharisees were not unlike us. They were very good at taking their faith and turning it into religion, right? Taking what was an issue of the heart and turning it into an issue of what I do. So faith is not religion, right? We all know as believers, most of us in this room have been around a while, we know that religion is God, is man reaching up to God, and that Christianity or uh, following Jesus is understanding that, that God actually reach, reaches down to man, and that faith is a matter of the heart, which is, by the way, Jesus is the only judge. God's the only one who judges. We can't judge because we can't know each other's hearts. We want to do that. And the Pharisees made up all these laws, and they saw the disciples breaking a law. They were working. They were threshing grain, and they were eating it on the Sabbath. They were working, and they shouldn't have been, according to their law. So they're asking, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So Jesus gives them this answer. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He goes back to David, which is really interesting. He's not going back to the law. He's not going back to Moses. But he's going back to the guy that he's the son of. Jesus, the Messiah, son of Abraham, son of David. He's going back to the one who's revered by the Jews. And again, not Abraham or Moses, but David. What did David do when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And this lawful only for priests to eat according to according to your commandments. But David was the one who, of whom God said, you're going to have a son on the throne forever and ever. Out of your family is going to come a king who's going to be the king of the kingdom forever and ever. And so David enters this house of God, this tabernacle, this place where God said, actually, you're going to have a king throughout all time in this place. And he ate what was unlawful for somebody who wasn't a priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. This reminds me, it probably has nothing to do with it, but it reminds me of Genesis. When she took the fruit and she ate it, and she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the way Jesus is telling this is that David took it and he ate it, and he gave it to his companions, but the only thing is, this is not sin, That's his point. This isn't like that. This isn't sin. Then Jesus said to them this, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this was a set your hair on fire moment. This was the moment when everything inside their brains just, it didn't compute. He's saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath. One of the things that was a demarcation between the Jews, the, the, God's people, the Jewish people, and the Gentiles was this observance of the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath was a very Israel thing to do. And they, they had created this whole teaching around it. And now Jesus is coming and he's saying that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, there's only, there's only one Lord of the Sabbath. That's God. It's Elohim. 
right? This, it's Yahweh. He is the only Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus is essentially saying, I am God. And they became very frustrated by this. In fact, we're gonna, when we see verse 11, I think verse 11 is their reaction, and it's a summary to both this setting here and the next one that we look at beginning here on verse 6. It says, on another Sabbath. So Luke starts out and he says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. Then he goes into verse 6, he goes, on another Sabbath. The point is that it's a Sabbath. It's a special day. And what happens on this other Sabbath? He went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled up. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Some scholars think that they actually planted this guy. They actually put this guy in there. Because they watched him closely, it says, to see if he would (gasps) heal on the Sabbath. Because if he healed on the Sabbath, that would, no, that would absolutely be breaking the Sabbath. Because in their Sabbath rules, if somebody could survive until sundown, they were not to be treated. Because that would be work. So if they could make it to sundown, and their life wasn't in jeopardy, you couldn't tend to them medically. They had, like I said, 39 sections. They had all kinds of rules. But this was one of them. So they planted this guy. Perhaps, perhaps. We're not sure. But there's this guy in there. And either way, they're watching Jesus very closely because they want to know if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. But, verse 8, Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. Now, you know, sometimes if I were to ask any of you to get up and stand in front of everybody, nobody really wants to do that. You know, that's a little uncomfortable. Some people, they say their greatest fear is having to talk in front of people. And he says to this guy, get up and stand in front of everyone. So Jesus is creating a moment. He's creating a moment. So he got up and stood there. What was in that guy's mind? He's got this deformity, this thing that's not working. Jesus asked him to stand up in front of everybody. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Well, what's the answer to that? He's not asking what is unlawful because they already told him. Why are you doing what is unlawful? Why are you eating this grain? So Jesus says, no, no, no. What is lawful? To do good? Or, what does he say? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? The answer is easy. Certainly not to do evil. Certainly not to destroy life. To do good and to save life. And in this statement, Jesus is teaching about the Sabbath. It's good to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to save life on the Sabbath. Now Jesus, Jesus speaks and he, he mentions the save life, which is one of their rules. If you, if you have to save their life, you can save it, but, but we'll wait till sundown if they can stand it. If they can stand the pain, you know, let them wait 
so that you're not working on the Sabbath. But he, but he adds something here, to do good. To do good. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And probably the Pharisees were saying, oh, it's lawful to save life. And they had to wrestle. Oh, this doesn't really fit into our rules to do good. And would they just look in the mirror and say, what are we saying? We have to question whether or not it's, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath? That's what they had reduced themselves to. Rule keepers, bean counters, religious bean counters is what they had become. Verse 10, he looked around at them all. He looked around at them all. And then he said to the man, I wonder if he looked at the man. Maybe he was looking at one of them when he said, stretch out your hand. And he didn't even bother to look over there. Because he knew what was going to happen. Stretch out your hand. He did so. And his hand was completely restored. And the crowd erupted in cheers. I mean, wouldn't it? You guys clapped this morning for a song. And some few musicians. Good vocalists. Okay. But you clapped for them. But now if, if, if somebody's had a physical, you know, visual healing, you would think, there would be an eruption of praise, especially, especially first and foremost, leaders go first, right, from the religious leaders. But verse 11, I think, is a summary of both of these vignettes, what the religious leaders' response was. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. They were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. I was in a board meeting one time, and one of the board members was so angry at me for accusing me of doing this thing that he thought that I was doing. He was so mad. He was just so mad. He just got right up in my face. He was so mad. And I could feel the spittle on my cheeks. I mean, he was just like this far, and his face was beet red, and he was just, oh, oh, he was mad. And that's what I pictured these guys. You thought ministry was fun. <laughs> That's what I picture these guys. The word furious. Not like they were just a little ticked. They were furious. Why? Don't mess with our religion. Don't mess with our rules. We've got it just the way we want it. We don't have to think. And we don't have to feel guilty. Because as long as we stay between the lines, we don't have to feel guilty. And you're messing with that, Jesus. And you, we have spent so long, we've got this Talmud, we've got all these rules, we've got this thing figured out. Here you come, you mess with the teaching, and then you heal somebody. As though to validate your message. And the people are getting all excited. And the, the religious leaders were furious. They liked it the way it was. By the way, it also kept them in power and kept them in control because now their teachings were subject to question because Jesus was messing it all up. Uh, this guy, Daryl Bach, I've got a, a commentary on Luke from him. He said this, Jesus' handling of the Sabbath made him a threat to traditional Judaism as the leaders sought to preserve it. They sought to preserve it. How many times in a local church has somebody in the church fought to preserve what was. 
Well, that's a loaded question. Now the question is, how many times have I been the one? Or have you been the one fighting to preserve what was? I mean, it's just, it's natural. It's just, it's instinctual to us. We, we want, we like it the way it is. That's why it's the way it is. At one time, that's what we all thought was the best thing. And then when somebody comes along and really rocks the boat, and to the extent the extent that Jesus rocked the boat cannot be overstated. Jesus came in. I mean, he said, hey, you take this temple, you tear it down so that one stone sits on another. And I'll, I'll, I'll raise it back up in three days. What was he saying? The work of the temple can be accomplished in what I do in three days. People will no longer come to the glory of God through the temple, but they're going to come to the glory of God through me. So I thought to myself, Jesus' handling of my life makes him a threat to me as I seek to preserve it the way I do my life, the way I manage my life. Is it sometimes that we we like Jesus as Savior, but we don't really press for him to be our Lord because that means then that he has to take over and then I can't do what I want to do. I'm the first one in line for this one, you guys. I'm serious. I love... I remember coming back from another culture and coming back to um, eastern New York where I lived. And I remember thinking, and I said to the people around me, I like my culture. We were just in a different culture for 18 days. And I love those people, and, you know, it was... But just being honest, I really am comfortable in my own culture. Like where things are done like the way where I'm used to them being done. Everybody has normal names and they talk right. Right? So it's the same way with this type of thing. And usually it's the way we first learned it. The way we first learned a passage, a teaching, a practice, a ritual. It kind of gets sunk deep within and then, and then we don't want to change it. You know, it's... Um, it's like the, the old uh, the, the boxes. As long as self is at the foundation, you know, that's what we're comfortable with. Things don't turn out that great, and I don't have the results above. I don't have them filled in. But when self, like, that's the, that's the natural, normal default, is that, you know, we're in charge. And go to the next slide, it just changes just a little bit. Just a little, you didn't even see it, didn't even see it change. All of a sudden, there's love there. Because that's when Jesus is Lord. When Jesus is Lord, then it's love. He was trying to show the people that when you come into a situation, so it's the Sabbath. What do we do different on the Sabbath? We love people. We heal people on the Sabbath. You, you can actually put food in your mouth on the Sabbath and not be guilty of anything. And I was thinking, and connecting this to what we talked about last week, the inward church is the church that's focused on self. We like our church the way it is. We want to do church the way we do church. That's all wrong because we are the church, right? But we want to have things the way we want to. That's the inward church that's really got self at at the foundation. But the outward church is going to have love at the foundation where they realize that we love our community. We love the people who aren't here yet. And we're willing. We're willing to change. We're willing to adjust. We're willing to modify. We're willing to create whatever needs to be created to reach the 
ones who aren't here yet. That's the church that's based on love. Now, think with me again about this thing about Sabbath and about rest. Because this is really, really important. This connects the Old Testament into the New Testament, and then the thread runs right through our lives. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said this. And think about this when he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what do we do? We do like the Pharisees do. We're all people and we're prone to the same things. We put these burdens and these rules on. Because if we do them, we can feel good about ourselves. And we're acceptable to God because we follow the rules and we've done the right thing. And we can check off the box. But that's never the way God really designed it. And Jesus said, when you come to me, when you come to me, it's easy. I, I've done all the work. You, you took a long time. And, and the, um, the, the Herod and the Caesar took a long time to build that temple from, I don't know when it was, 40 B.C., 50 B.C., all the way up to the time of Jesus. They completely restored and, and added on and rebuilt the temple. And Jesus is saying, you know, that, that was a lot of work, a lot of man hours, a lot of slave hours, a lot of labor. I can do it in three days. I can accomplish the same thing in three days. Nobody has to lift a finger. My burden is light. In Hebrews chapter 4, whoever wrote Hebrews, whether it was Paul or whoever it was, he talks about the Sabbath rest. Now we're in the New Testament. He's talking about a Sabbath rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, and Joshua took them into the promised land, right across the river, into the promised land, where they were supposed to be like, oh, we're here, the land of milk and honey. We can rest, we can relax, recreate. But he didn't. So, and if he had, God would not have spoken later about another day. Another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from His. The point here is that we don't have to work to have a relationship with God. When we enter into that Sabbath rest, we rest on the work of Jesus to give us a relationship with God. Our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ connects us to the Father we don't have to do anything. We can relax. We can rest. His burden is light. It's easy. But we don't want that. Because we want the hard way, right? We're not going to take the easy road. We're going to take the hard road. No pain, no gain. But in, but in this realm, though, it's not true. It is true in other areas of life. No pain, no gain. Absolutely true. But in this realm, it's not true. Because there was no amount of pain that could get us a relationship with God. The only one who could bear the burden was Jesus Christ. And he did it. So the good news is, not only is Jesus the Sabbath, but Jesus actually, he himself is Sabbath. He is rest. When you think of Sabbath, just think of Jesus. Jesus, come to me. 
Come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. I'm the Sabbath. When it talked about Sabbath in the Old Testament, it was looking ahead to this guy, Jesus, the God-man. It wasn't just about, oh, we just need to rest. It, it was about rest, but it was about something that was really way more important and way more fulfilling. That's this Jesus who would come and give you real rest. Ultimate rest. Rest from sin and guilt and shame. That's gone in Jesus. We get real rest. So it's amazing when we look at the Old Testament. Just peek with me for a minute. Jesus is the Sabbath. We just talked about that. Jesus is the priest. Hebrews talks about Him being our great high priest. So all those priests were just looking ahead to the priest who would come. He was also the sacrifice. Amazing. He's both the priest. He's the ultimate and final and sufficient sacrifice. Jesus is the temple. He replaces it. He's the new way to come to God. He is the exodus. He's the new exodus. The true deliverance out of Egypt. The deliverance out of sin. And deliverance into the, the promised land. He's the promised land too. He's the one. He's the destination that we want to arrive to. Arrive at. We're, we're His body. We are the body of Christ as believers. He's the promised land. He's the king. All those kings in the Old Testament, Jesus would be the king. The king who would be king forever. He was the prophet. He was the one who came and not only spoke for God, He was God speaking the words of God as the Word of God. Jesus, the showbread in the, in the temple. Jesus was the bread of life. He was the manna in the wilderness, right? He was, the, uh, he was the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. That was pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus is the torn veil. He's the, he's the veil that was, that was broken and ripped so that it made access to God uh, easy. There was no more veil between us and the Holy of Holies. Jesus was the rock in the wilderness. He was the rock that Moses spoke to and that Moses struck. He was also the water that flowed out of that rock. He was the Passover lamb in Egypt. He was the angel of the Lord that showed up over and over and over to do the work of God in people's lives. He was the son of Abraham and the son of David. Jesus was all these things and more. And at the end of Luke, when we get to Luke 24, and it says that, that, that Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he, he opened their eyes so that they could understand the scriptures. I believe that he did something like this, like on steroids, where he just started talking. Hey, you remember this in the Old Testament? You remember this story? You remember this person when this happened? You remember this event over here? You remember this relationship? You remember this happenstance? That, that's me. That, that's talking about me. It's talk I am the fulfillment of all of this. I'm the answer. It all ends up and it dumps right into me, and I'm the giver of life. See, it all comes back to Jesus. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the answer. So, if you are new to Jesus, you have to know that faith in Jesus Christ is easy. It's not ever meant to be hard. His burden is light. His way is easy. Now, is living as a disciple of Jesus easy? Well, only if you give your whole life to it. If that's easy, then it is. Maybe it's not. But maybe it is. 
If we give our lives to Jesus and we walk with Jesus and we let him do the work, and if we live in love knowing that our relationship with God has already been settled, we don't have to work for his approval anymore. So if you're new to Jesus, place your faith in him. Believe in him. As the priest, the God who became the priest, and the God who became the sacrifice to pay for all the sins of the people and to pay for our sins. And if you've been following him a long time, are you resting? Or are you still striving and are you still anxious and busy and you've got to do that one more thing and you've got to prove yourself one more time and you've you got to stop the sin that you can't seem to stop and you've got all this stuff you're trying and trying and trying for God and you're such a failure. And Jesus says, my way is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Would you just come to Jesus and let him give you rest? The sin that you're so struggling with and worried about, you know Jesus has already forgiven it. Focus on his love and who he says you are. Righteous and redeemed, a child of God, holy, blameless, without fault. It's who Jesus says we are. Yeah, but I did this yesterday. Well, just get over it. I mean, don't sin, but if you haven't figured it out, you really can't obey that command 100%. We're going to sin. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he died, so that we don't have to focus on that sin. We focus on him and we focus on his love. And then that sin becomes a whole lot easier to walk away from when we've got something wonderful to walk to. So if you've been following him a long time, I want to encourage you. Find your rest in him. Stop striving spiritually. This is why I go way back weeks and weeks. I said, you don't have to read your Bible. You should read your Bible. If you just read your Bible, then every day you'll have to read your Bible because you get to, because you want to. Don't strive. That's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will give you rest. Except for when you have to strive to please me. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. I thank you that you give us rest that your burden is light. It's easy. That, that is so counterintuitive. Even as I speak those words, Lord, I, I fear the false teacher moniker. Uh, I don't want to teach what is not true. But this is what you said, and it's so true that they accused Paul of teaching that we could just sin because grace was so prevalent. But God forbid, God forbid... Lord, help us to live holy, blameless lives before you. Help us to learn how to obey all that you've commanded us. Help us to live a life of wisdom and obedience and holiness. But God, when we don't, you are there. When we don't, your son paid for those sins. When we don't, we can come to you and you have open arms of forgiveness and love and empowerment to get back up on the path and hand in hand to walk with you. So Lord, help us 
Help us to live our lives for you. And when we fail, to rest in you and to find the forgiveness and the peace and the joy that you offer us. Lord, if there's one here this morning who's never placed their faith in Jesus, never believed in Jesus as their Savior, God, I pray that you would work in their heart, that they would hear these words, and that they would believe on Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to go from here today and to serve you as kingdom people. And I pray that you would use us this week to be the body of Christ and to be the church in our communities and to bring you great glory and to serve and love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? I want to read these verses to you in the end of Ephesians chapter 3. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So as kingdom people, go in peace and live in love this week. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.